Good evening, and welcome to the May 2019 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia, and I am super excited about the start of Pride season that begins right here in Sonoma County next weekend. So we're going to start tonight with an update from Sonoma County Pride board member Chris Crenmora. He's got all the details about what you need to know about the parties, parade, picnics, and other happenings over the next two weekends. And then I'm really excited to have back on the show Finn Deerhart. Now, you may remember him from our February show, but since that time, I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit more and to learn about the work he's doing as a local sex and intimacy coach. As part of the Napa Pride celebration, Finn is doing a very special one-day workshop designed to help you replace shame with pride. He's here tonight to tell us all about his own personal story and what you'll get from this workshop in June. So stay with us. It's going to be a packed hour, and it's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, May 26th, 2019. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of May 26th, 2019. As graduation season approaches, the Westboro Baptist Church announced they will be protesting the graduation ceremonies of several historically black colleges and universities. The church explained in a press release released earlier this month why it chose to protest Spelman College and Clark Atlanta University. They said, quote, the heart of Spelman's progressive feminist organizations includes an organization which describes itself as all-inclusive, that strives to offer a safe, creative, and liberating space for students across the entire spectrum of LGBTQIAPD+, and their allies. More evidence does not seem necessary to demonstrate that this college is being grandly paid to produce perverts who aggressively strive to push others towards proud sin and down a path to hell. End quote. And in a separate press release, they explained why they were targeting Morehouse College. They wrote, quote, Morehouse, founded by Baptists, announced in April 2019 that for 135 years only male students could enroll, but starting in 2020, females who pretend they are males will be welcome. DNA don't lie, bro, end quote. And then they went on to make some reference about Martin Luther King and the fact that there were no sodomites on the streets for the last 30 years. The Southern Poverty Law Center has called the Westboro Baptist Church, quote, arguably the most obnoxious and rabid hate group in America, end quote. And the other big news this month came from Washington when the U.S. House of Representatives voted in favor of providing full LGBT equality in the Equality Act. This bill protects sexual orientation and gender identity minorities from a variety of discrimination, including employment and housing. It's arguably the most significant civil rights bill since the Civil Rights Act of 1964. After the debate, the bill was supported by every Democrat in the House, plus eight Republicans. 173 Republicans voted against it. At odds with this bill is religious freedom. And while 70% of Americans favor the Equality Act, a senior administration official in the Trump administration told the Washington Blade that the Trump administration absolutely opposes discrimination of any kind and supports the equal treatment of all. However, that this bill in its current form is filled with poison pills that threaten to undermine parental and conscious rights. The bill goes to the Senate next, and there is sure to be opposition from this Republican-controlled body. And here locally, the Sonoma County Pride celebration begins this coming Friday, May 31st, with a parade and festival happening at Courthouse Square in Santa Rosa the next day on June 1st. Your Outbeat Radio team will be at the KRCB booth at the festival, so be sure to come by and say hi. 
The parade down 4th Street starts at 11 a.m. and the festival will run from noon until 6 p.m. And don't forget, tickets are still available for the special workshop titled Replace Shame with Pride. Join Bay Area sex and relationship coach Finn Deerhart for a morning of activities that will help you find pride in who you are. The workshop happens on Saturday, June 15th at 9 a.m. You can learn more on our website at OutBeatNews.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Chris Crenmore is the Communications Director for Sonoma County Pride, and he was on with us last weekend talking about Sonoma County Pride, and he's back this week with even more details about events taking place over the next two weekends. Chris, welcome back. Thank you again for having me. Well, you've got to be just getting so excited. Sonoma <laughs> County Pride is just one week away. And this year's theme is the Year of Love. Um, remind us again where the idea for that came from. As a board, we've all been talking about how much hate speech and, you know, anti everything that we're hearing and, you know, the government and it's you can't scroll through Facebook without hearing negativity everywhere. So we thought it would be time to bring love back around in the spirit of love. And so, yes, we want to still resist, uh, but in the spirit of love and we want to be come together and, you know, kind of like the Beatles song, all you need is love and use that energy to, to get us through this year and push us towards our 2020 year. <laughs> I like year. it. I like it. And the, and really the first event is focused around Jim Obergefell, who was the lead plaintiff in the 2015 marriage case. He's, I'm going to call him a Sonoma County resident. He's part owner in a business here and, and visits quite frequently. Uh, talk about the fireside chat. Uh, we've invited uh, uh, Gary Saperstein in from out in the vineyard to do a fireside chat with Jim um, and to talk about his story being the plaintiff in the same sex or uh, marriage equality Supreme Court case. I know for myself, this is something that I've I've wanted to hear his side of the story. My husband and I waited for the case to be cleared before we can get married. And uh, I, this is a great opportunity to be a part of history and, and hear hear from him. And him being a local, he's super excited about, about being part of Pride as well. Fantastic. And that event's going to take place when and where? Uh, that event is on Friday, May 31st from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Astro Motel on Santa Rosa Avenue. Perfect. Then once that event's over with, you can go to the kickoff party. Uh, it's called Neon Love. What time does that start and where is it going to be? Uh, Neon Love is presented by the Letter People, and that is going to be at Casa Del Mar over at 3660 Stony Point Road in Santa Rosa. That starts at 9 p.m. and continues into the night until 1.30. But don't stay up too late because there's a full day of events the next day. That's right. The big day is Saturday, June 1st, and it includes the parade and festival. Again, for the second year now, back in downtown Santa Rosa. So, Give us a scoop on that. Where's the parade going to start, and what time should people be there? Okay, so if you want to get a good spot, come in about between 10 and 11, because the parade's going to start right at 11 o'clock, and we want to keep it moving. So the parade, again, this year is sponsored by Hansel Subaru, and uh, we're doing uh, Stonewall to Sonoma, a heritage of love, and we're trying to bring, you know— love into the parade with uh, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Uh, the parade will start down um, by Brookwood and continue, I guess that's west, on 4th Street into the square. And this year we've added a little bit more at the square at uh, Mendocino Avenue. They're going to make a right turn to disperse, but uh, 
the judging table and everything will be right there on the square and you'll be able to see all the action and not be too far from the festival while the parade's going on. Great. Any highlights for you that you're particularly excited about seeing in the parade this year? Um, we got a couple. I'm I'm actually excited. Jim again is going to be our. He's one of our grand marshals, and Pat Carrigan from KSRO is going to be one of our grand marshals. And we also have a couple honorees uh, this year. The mayor of Santa Rosa is going to come in. I love the floats. To be honest, I can't wait to see all the color. But we're also excited to have our first gay Miss Sonoma County in the parade. She is going to be visiting us throughout the entire weekend. um, And what a great opportunity to come and meet her. Uh, So if you're going to be around, make sure you get a chance to say hi. Yes, we've got a lot going on. It's it's free for the community, great for all ages. Be there early. Great. (laughs) And then the festival, which everybody really enjoys, uh, happens right in the square there uh, in the afternoon. You said it starts around noonish, right after the parade's over with, right? Yes, sir. Um, the festival again this year is brought to you by uh, Grayton Rancheria and Casino uh, Resort and Casino. Sorry, we have a great lineup of entertainment. We have Janice Robinson coming in. We have Spencer uh, Ludwig, uh, Tatiana from RuPaul's Drag Race, and Reina. There's video clips posting on our website, posted on our website. So come in, check them out, and uh, have a great time. Fantastic. There'll be plenty of food and plenty of water, I would imagine, this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, We learned from last year uh, that we will have the hydration truck from Santa Rosa there. So plenty of water. Make sure you wear your sunscreen or bring sunscreen as well. So uh, hopefully we'll have mild weather this year, but prepare for the warm just in case. And two stages of entertainment. That's an expansion from last year for sure. Oh, yes. Uh, Yeah, we're going to keep 4th Street closed from Mendocino Avenue to B Street and uh, have a community stage that is going to have programming with local community artists all day long as well. So uh, we're very excited to bring this back because we get so many local entertainers submit their information and there's just no way to pack it into one one stage. So we thought it would be really nice to have a a programming all day long on an, an additional stage for our local artists. That's great. So people can move back and forth and enjoy whatever they're uh, interested in. Then after the festival's over with, there's going to be the after party, the Love Shack after party. Tell us about that. Yeah, Love Shack after party. Our community partner in this is Santa Rosa Gator, And of course, most of you guys have been to one of their social events. Uh, this is going to be a little bit bigger. We're at La Rosa at the lounge at La Rosa, which is uh, one of the bars there on 4th Street. Uh, and we're going to convert it into a gay nightclub. And we're putting on a drag show and bringing in some drag queens and some go-go dancers and going to have a fun time closing out our Pride Festival with uh, Love Shack. And then Sunday, the events, the community events continue with the Peace, Love, and Wine event. Talk about yeah. that. So we've teamed up with um, a, a gay magazine called GED, which is the Gay Entertainment Directory. Uh, they are new to our area, but they've been distributing all over uh, the West Coast for a few years, actually many years. Um, but uh, – They are one of our sponsors this year and wanted to put on 
uh, an event and do peace, love, and wine. So they're bringing in some of our wine partners into one location, and you can great Sunday afternoon, uh, chill down with some wine and some good music and little bites to eat, um, and that'll be over at the Astro Motel from uh, noon to three thirty. And then also on Sunday, there's going to be a family picnic. Uh, tell us about that. Um, so this year we. We ran out of kind of the space and location to have a kids zone during the festival. So we, we thought we'd, we'd try to expand on it and have a, a larger family event. So uh, this year from noon to four at Juilliard Park, we're taking over the park and doing Pride in the Park. Um, we've teamed up with a few different local nonprofits to put on uh, a community f- uh, event with local food, games, a pet zone. Uh, we're, we're calling it Pride in the Park, and our partners are Trans Life, uh, LGBTQ Connect, uh, Say, and Positive Images, and uh, Queers in the Park. They're all coming in to help us organize this and put it on. Uh, we have a youth drag show that's going to be put on, and we're going to do drag story time with one of our uh, sisters from San Francisco is going to come in and do some story time with us. And, you know, it's we, we wanted to be a little slower paced. We're going to do some face painting, you know, wind up, wind down your weekend, playing some games and just more, more family, more family fun. So we're also bringing in Barks in the Park with a couple of local nonprofits, uh, Green Dog Rescue, uh, Dogma Animal Rescue, and the Humane Society of uh, Sonoma County are going to come in, and we're going to do a little pet show. So be prepared to dress up your pets in pride gear so that we can have a little march around with your with your uh, fun furry friends. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it really sounds like there's a nice variety of events this weekend. I think that's one of the things in looking at the schedule and hearing you talk is there's really something for everybody. And if you don't have a lot of funds to spend on entertainment, most of this stuff is free. Correct. Um, uh, and, and, you know, we are charging for some, but it's just to cover the expenses of putting on the event. It's, we're, we're not trying to gouge anybody on, on the events. And we've tried to make it as affordable to do all of them as possible. That's great. So let's move on to the following weekend. On June 8th, there's the Pride is Love event at Lagunitas in Petaluma. Talk about that event. So the Lagunitas Tap Room uh, reached out to us with um, a community partner, North Bay Cabaret, and they really wanted to put on a Pride-like variety cabaret show. And we we had already put together our Pride schedule, and we thought, well, if you could do it the next weekend, why don't we have a follow-up event? And they jumped right on it, and uh, they are putting together a great variety show. Um, it's put put together as a fundraiser with uh, Sonoma County Pride, or for Sonoma County Pride. Um, we are also doing a raffle and giveaways. $5 for every ticket sold will go to Sonoma County Pride. It is a 21 and over event because you're going to experience Lagunitas' different brews. That'll be a nice uh, change of pace with a whole lineup of performers that are going to put on a great show that's uh, being put together by North Bay Cabaret. Awesome. Sounds like a lot of fun. And then on Sunday, June 9th, uh, the LGBTQ Film Festival is sponsoring a special showing of Don't Blink. Yeah, uh, Don't Blink returns with us this year, um, and they're going to have their own day, Saturday, June 9th at 2 p.m. They're going to be at the Third Third Street Cinema. 
Uh, and all of their films are centered around love. They're doing a ton of short shorts. It, it really is going to provoke a lot uh, of emotion and interest. And the lineup that I've, I only have a couple of them in front of me at the moment, and I can't wait to see the full list. But it sounds like it's going to be a great, great uh, film festival this year. Terrific. Well, what a well-rounded calendar of events to, uh, to celebrate Pride in Sonoma County. Oh, yes. So this year, um, I know. I don't know how we're going to top it next year. I've got to start thinking about that already. <laughs> well, you've got your work <laughs> cut out for you. Chris, I've got to tell you, I really appreciate all the effort. I know you and I have talked throughout the year at different times, and I know how much work this is to do. So I just really want to applaud you and all the members of the board and the volunteer chair committees for giving so much of their time and themselves so the rest of us can come down and enjoy a really terrific weekend. Well, thank you so much for for having us on and, uh, and, and being interested, because if it wasn't for all of you guys, we wouldn't be doing this. Very good. So happy Pride, and we will see you in downtown Santa Rosa next weekend. Thank you. And your Alpi radio team will be out covering the parade and festival next weekend. Sheridan Gold and Diana Grayer will be staffing the KRCB booth at the festival, so be sure to stop by and say hi. Okay, our next guest is returning to share more about his own personal and fascinating story and to talk about a workshop he's doing next month in Napa. It's titled Replacing Shame with Pride. Finn Deerhart is a sex and intimacy coach based here locally in San Francisco, but he's doing workshops and programming all over the world. Finn, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Uh, we talked with you back in February when you were on with um, Davey Wavy, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden we have this great workshop planned, and mm-hmm. you've, got, you've got just a really fascinating story. <laughs> so I thought it'd be fun just to spend some time with you and to hear about that and how that all led you to be doing these workshops. So you grew up in the South in a really religious family. I did, yeah. Well, my dad was a minister in the Church of Christ in all kinds of places like Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Kentucky. We were the minister's family, and my dad was very passionate about the role of the ministry. Um, He was a little divisive in the... um, even in the church, you know, like he was debating a lot and like, you know, calling other churches to debate him. It was just a very, very like fighty kind of environment, mm-hmm. like soldier, soldiers of Christ. And, um, you know, we're on this spiritual warfare kind of plane. And, um, yeah, I, I, it was kind of expected of me early on. I don't think I really actually got the opportunity as a child to really feel into like what was what would be my path. Um, my dad did do a lot of young men training courses at church and um, was kind of grooming me to be a minister like really early on. And, and I excelled in certain ways. You know, I would quote big chunks of you know scripture and I was at like nine and 10, I was doing like little lessons on Wednesday night in front of the church. Oh, wow. So it, yeah. So I was getting over like public speaking fear at the same, at the same time I was becoming a teenager. So um, little did you know that that would lead you to be doing these amazing workshops on gay sex. I know that's what actually I think about that a lot, and that one of the things that's really helped me to find a place of forgiveness uh, with my dad actually um, 
is the fact that I really do value a lot of what he taught me as far as skills and what he modeled for me. Like he's very charismatic and I saw him, you know, leading, Mm -hmm. leading churches and, and speaking and being fearless in a certain kind of way. And I liked that and it was something I emulated and he really helped to cultivate that, that in me. Yeah, that's cool. It's great that you could find the silver lining in all of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I, I I know from your story that you discovered your attraction in men early on. It wasn't masked by your participation in the church. So w- what age were you, and how did that conflict hit you? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, so I remember, and I don't, I don't know exactly what age I was, but it was before I was in... Before I was in first grade, I remember there was a boy at church that would like act like a horsey and I could ride his back. And I felt aroused as a child. I remember being really turned on, but it's like a foreign kind of feeling, you know, maybe one of my first experiences of what I would call turn on. And and also, bizarrely, even as young as I was, had this sense that that was something I wasn't supposed to have. Mm. Um, and... That continued well in like all, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, like boys um, in high school at church that I was fascinated with and just felt like there was a draw there. And then my dad actually was really very passionate about speaking against gay people. He wouldn't, I mean, he gets angry about the word gay. He refuses to say it. He says like homosexual and it was like a platform of his, like one of his top, <laughs> if you like a top platform that you could talk about all the time, that was one of his. And as early as like, you know, eight, nine, ten, I was going through his church files. Um, he kept a filing cabinet with sermon material. And I started looking through stuff in there. He had a file called Homosexuality with a lot of propaganda in it. And I was reading about all this stuff. And I was also experiencing a lot of turn on and electric energy in my body reading about you know, what gay men were doing. Of course, it was slanted and biased through um, like an American Family Association kind of perspective. Oh and um, Yeah, and, and but at the same time, I was learning about cruising and um, men, you know, going out into trails and what they're doing out in the woods. <laughs> so um, that was early on, and I snuck around a lot. So, I mean, how did you filter all of that away and still see okay, I know I have to keep this hidden, but I'm going to march forward. Well, I've always been really tenacious so and rebellious. And I, I had a deep sense that what he was so pissed about and like, you know, arguing against was something that was like very intricate and a part of who I was. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it felt like a initially like, uh, oh, hide this. But I've always been really, I think the word is like precocious. I was, as a child, I was very interested in sex. I was very interested in... Um, adult, <laughs> adult themes. And, you know, I, and I, with some of my friends, I was just constantly trying to get them into situations where I could explore with them and talk to them about it. And I just had a, a will that I wasn't going to not experience it because it felt so good in my body. Like it felt really right. good. I think that's one of the things that's bizarre about, I mean, we feel so good when we have sex and the, the feeling of aliveness and freedom and all the things that it brings us. Um, but there's also this fear of like, what if I want it too much? What if I get lost in it? What if it's, you know, over, and a lot of guys do go over that edge as well, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I just, I liked it. I wanted it. I did it as much as I could. 
I spend as much time investigating. And, and I think just the amount of suppression and the amount of like, no, 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 that I was getting was just driving me, uh, towards it really. I mean, I was fascinated with it. <laughs> well, yeah, but you were getting a lot of pushback. I mean, I've heard you tell the story about what happened when you said the word sex, just that word. I know. What happened? Yeah, I mean, I got, well, for one, I got my mouth washed out with soap. There's like this really visceral memory that I have that's, it still comes up. It's kind of a, a pain point where I have been talking about sex. And this is like um, third grade where, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about. It's just kids, you know, he did this and that and sex and just the word had a charge, you know. And um, my dad was so upset at me that I got a whipping with the belt. Um, he had overheard me talking and then he took me to the bathroom and was just livid, and he washed my mouth out with is one of those orangey yellow bars of Dial soap, Oof. and like it was like I know it like was stuck in my teeth. I mean, it was just a really horrible experience, and he was just so angry. So I mean, that was just one of many. Um, I got whipped with the belt a lot, which is bizarrely, I think, sexual to have your pants pulled down by an authority and like you know. I'm in trouble for this thing. And then there's like, you know, here's my, you know, naked body exposed and like this power dynamics. It was just a really confusing environment to grow up in. Mm -hmm. I I bet. (laughs) I, 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 yeah. I mean, I can't imagine it. I was very, very fortunate. Although I grew up in the Catholic church and, you know, was an altar boy and did all of that (laughs) kind of stuff. I never, never experienced that type of, Mm. you know, super strong physical oppression. Yeah, like trauma. Yeah, no, I never, I never had any of that. Uh, and I look <sighs> back and I continue to be grateful that I never had any of that. Mm-hmm. But you really persevered. I'm, I'm curious. You know, you're. I think you approach sex and relationships and intimacy from a real spiritual basis. That's mm-hmm. the impression I get. What mm-hmm. else did your dad teach you that you can see yourself using in your work today? Um. Hmm. Well, I, before I actually answer that question, I will say to what you were just describing around the trauma and, and how I think that I've been on a journey ever since then of trying to put this, you know, fragmented pieces of myself back together. And I think everyone's doing that on some level with themselves, no matter what is the really core root wounding Um it's we have this option to either check out and not really deal with it or try to just circumvent it or if we can and we can get the resources to put those pieces back together. And I feel like that was one of the things that's really been – was taken from me. It was a sense of um, wholeness and spirituality when it came to sex. It was just like – it's like circumcised, you know, mm-hmm. away from my being. And um, about so, – so, I mean, you know, aside from my exploration and sexualities, I grew um, in an answer to your question – I think one of the things that I learned um, from my dad and from the church was like this discipline. Um, mm. I mean, he would wake up in the mornings, almost, uh, like most days at like 5 a.m. and would study and uh, before we all got up for school. And I mean, he was really, really devoted, uh, deeply devoted uh, to what he was doing, you know? So I, that definitely was, has been a model for me. And I, in coaching, you know, a lot of men will want something and they haven't necessarily learned the daily practice to, you know, to really learn a discipline Mm -hmm. around creating what it is that, that they want. 
And I think that that's something that I really did get from my dad and from the church and being able to hold space for a lot of people at one time, kind of tracking energy in the, in the audience, you know, like where I'm maybe like when I was preaching, for instance, it's like, you know, maybe one part of the room you can feel is really engaged and one part is like you're losing them and like how to really keep everybody in an experience together the best that I can. And, and I'm sure you can relate to that too in teaching. You know? Oh, totally. I was just going to yeah. say, it sounds very like, very much like being in a classroum at, mm-hmm. eight, at eight in the morning with students who aren't awake yet. <laughs> right. And it's like a live dance of, of energy and people and like holding attention and creating, you know, I actually have this really awesome, um, analogy and I'm, I don't remember his name. I think Paul Broad, maybe, um, it, it, the listening bowl is like the listeners are helping shape the content of the speaker or what's coming from mm. the speaker. And, um, that was something that I feel like I really got. And I love that, you know, if I find myself in a workshop starting to kind of get in my head and really worry about how I'm being received and it really throws a wrench in the energy. But if I get back into just like connecting and and moving with the people, then it just comes and flows. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I I just, every time we talk, I keep reflecting back on my own experience growing up in Mm -hmm. law enforcement, a culture that was very oppressive still is in a lot of places uh, mm-hmm. towards anybody being gay. And, and, and then in your case, religion, there's just so many similarities. And I have asked my parents if they knew I was gay all along. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about your parents? Do you think they knew? Well, I do. I do. And before I answer that, what did your parents say? Um, have you asked them that? Or, no, or no I have. Just... I, I have. And, you know, my mom figured it out. She figured it out sooner than my dad did. My dad wondered some, but it wasn't really anything that he spent a lot of time thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I told them, they were able to look back at certain points in my life and go, oh, okay, now that makes sense. There were so many things that happened that they hadn't connected the dots all together, but, but now they could. Yeah, right. And then things that they probably knew, but they just denied as well. Um, I think that's true of my family. I've talked to uh, many people in my family just won't even talk to me anymore. Like I'm just kind of like dead to them and I haven't, we haven't spoken Mm. in years. And one of the people, it's actually her 82nd birthday today is my granny in Alabama. And most of the men in that side of the family, they will not, they just won't have anything to do with me, but my granny still just tries to keep the connection. And I really appreciate her for that. Um, Mm. But she told me that what she was like, you know, when she was, uh, when I was a little boy, she just knew. <laughs> she she used to put me in her dresses and um, I think that was like, you know, playing with makeup and stuff. I think that was like, you know, part of them acknowledging that. And I totally believe that my dad was aware of it on some level. And I really think that um, people, like we see what's outside of ourselves and we project onto that. And that's really a reflection of what's going on on the inside. And the fact that my dad was just so intent on, um, focus around, I mean, of all the things one can focus upon in a spiritual life, you know, like fighting against gay people. It was like his focal point in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So I, I really believe that he knew that about me and I'm curious about, his vitriol <laughs> for like what that means about his own, like his own self. And, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we see like often politicians, you know, that are very anti LGBT and then they end up, you know, with the 
male prostitute or something. And right. And people act. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all when that happens, and it's just prolific. So, huh. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not I'm not insinuating a certainty around. That. I'm just saying, you know, there's just there's stuff there. Well, sure. It was like a big family crisis all the time. I think that they knew, and yeah. and I did get berated for wanting to hang out with my friends at the mall, or you know, like not dressing in a hyper masculinized way and being girly. I hated playing sports. I sucked at them. Um, oh, join my club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you, did have, you try anyway? <laughs> oh, you know what? I did. I had to play in um, a youth basketball league. I don't remember if I really wanted to do it or if it was sort of one of the things I was going to do. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember figuring out that if I stood right in the center of the court, I really wouldn't <laughs> have to run back and forth because ultimately they would just pass me back and forth. Exactly. I, I mean, those little strategies, I know them. It's like, how can I avoid being seen in this situation at all costs? Like what can I do to escape being witnessed and being exposed um, and not wanting all that scrutiny and not wanting that pressure? Um, I hated dodgeball and those kinds of things. I felt oh. like just totally the first target, you know? And No, I remember playing dodgeball in, it was either fifth or sixth grade. And I'll never forget this. I remember the kid who did it. He was like standing three feet in front of me and he threw that, that mm. red rubber ball as hard as he yep. could in my face. Jesus. <laughs> and it hurt so bad. Yeah. Um, what a horrible game. I really, I just don't. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it doesn't have like a it's some kind of like sci- child psychology situation going on, like those sorts of incidences. It gives a perfect opportunity for bullies to act out and for kids like myself and you to uh, recreate a victim situation. Um, Right. Now, so talk <laughs> talk about your experience in school. I mean, did you experience bullying all through school? Dude, yeah, all the time. I I was <clears> – <throat> for one thing, you know, I feel like I had already – I've thought about this a lot. Like, why was I so scared? Like, I've always felt really scared. And it's only been, like, in my adult life as I've really got into working out and that I really kind of started to trust that my body is not going to get, like, attacked or, you know. Because um, mm. when I was a kid, I mean, with my – at home, I think being like physically punished a lot and then really, um, really, I, well, I hate the word abusive, but yes, abu- well, <laughs> abusive yeah. ways. It's, I mean, so I guess it's like sometimes it's a little challenging for me to say that, but um, definitely. Uh, and I already felt broken down, so I didn't fight back and I couldn't fight back against my dad. And it was just this force I had to kind of succumb to. And so I recreate, and some kids identify with that and then recreate it. Um, at school and I did the opposite. I internalized it and I just was terrified of people and I did get picked on and beat up and like stuffed in a trash can and had my underwear ripped off me and just stuff, you know, all the Ooh. time. I know. I walked around a lot at recess and lunch was like um, just trying to, again, not be seen, just be as small as possible and get over it so I could go back to class where I felt safer and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. engaging with my teachers you know so well and then when you were 19 really I would <laughs> think the ultimate of horror happened to you talk yeah. about that yeah um, so you're talking about the all night chase <laughs> I am talking about the all night chase I, so I like I was in ministry school 
was in my first year of ministry school, and I had gotten a new car, and I was um, starting to... I was just starting inside. I mean, I'd already been being physical with men for a long time and, and had been doing that even in ministry school. But I was like psychologically edging closer towards uh, acceptance a little bit around being gay. And there was a, a ministry stu- school student that I was really um, very close to, one of my best friends uh, at that time in my life that I'd really ever had. And I also had a lot of romantic feelings for him and sexual feelings and he and I would just um, hang out and like take drives in the car. I mean, for, you know, I was in ministry school. We weren't really doing anything that wild. But um, <laughs> we would go drive around in the car and talk on a Friday night. So we did that. I had a new car. And so we drove out in the country. And it was like maybe like 11 o'clock at night. Um, it was kind of stormy. And we just pulled over on the side of the road out in – this is outside of Austin, Texas in like the Driftwood area. Um, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which is like right outside of Austin, Texas is like total, uh, it turns very, very different attitudes about sexuality. Um, so we were parked and it was raining and it was really fun for a while to just sit there and listen to the rain on the car and we were talking and um, a truck drove up um, from the main highway. We were like kind of out in the country at this point on several different um, turns and roads and some of the, I was not all that familiar with this area either. So it's kind of exploring and the truck did a U-turn and like faced our car head on, just had the brights shining in the window. And I, I knew that this was not a good situation. I just, you know, I think we did, obviously we know it was just bizarre behavior. And, um, I, at that point, didn't even have the car door locked, but I did. I locked the car door, and um, a guy got out of the passenger side, and he walked up to the the window, and he said, you know, get out of the car. I'm going to kill you. And oh, my just, God. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, it wasn't kind of like I was numb at that point. I was really, I mean, again, I had been having all these, like, traumatic reactions, like fight, fight, freeze, that kind of stuff since I was a little kid. And so I just... Um, I felt very frozen, but I was in a position in the car where I could maneuver around this truck. So I just took off driving as fast as I could. And um, because it was raining and it was a little like I didn't know where I was going down a road that I'd never been on before. Mm -hmm. I was going all over the place in in circles and I kept coming to this uh, stop sign that I didn't realize was the same stop sign repeatedly. And when I realized that, I... Um, turned the opposite way that I then when I the way I had been turning repeatedly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it went up a really big hill, and at the top of the hill was a cul-de-sac, and uh, swinging my heart just sank, and I felt so scared, and and the, the whole time the truck had been pursuing us, and they were kind of distant behind, as we could see in the rearview mirror, but um, they since I got to the top of the cul-de-sac, I just turned the car around facing the entrance, and just turned off the lights and sat there and um the truck didn't come and they didn't come so the lights were off and we i drove up to the edge of you know the hill where i could see down and at the bottom of the hill the truck had turned sideways in the road where we couldn't get out and uh i just backed up pulled the car to the very very back of the cul-de-sac and stuck there and then at that point me and my friend we traded places because i was really starting to lose it he was very very calm under pressure 
and um, keeping these under wraps. And I had one of those cell phones, you know, like the flip phones that mm-hmm. originally came out with Motorola. Um, and so I called 911 and it was a very, I guess it was nice to have some support, but it was fruitless because they were just like, well, where are you? Where, what kind of um, landmarks do you see? And it was just like trees and <laughs> houses. Um, I don't know. I don't see a street sign. Um, so I stayed on the phone with her. At this point, we see the guy that had gotten out of the truck originally mm-hmm. walking up over the hill. And the truck wasn't there, but this man's head was coming up over the hill. And he walked up to the side of the car and he started the same stuff. He's like, get out of the car. You're going to die. And a bunch of other stuff. He called us all you know, expletives and things that I, I guess I don't really can't probably say. <laughs> we already discussed what I can say and what I can't. Yeah. Um, and he started punching the window. And. And it was punching the window so hard that it was making my car rock. And I was like, oh, my God, he's, like, serious. This is I, I knew, I guess, in that moment, because I'd always been bullied, like I said. And I was used to a lot of fluff coming from people and just a lot of talk. But this was like, oh, like, this is yeah, this happening. Is, this I, is it. Yeah. I um, So I was just sick to my stomach and he kept hitting the window and it wasn't doing anything. So he walked off into the bushes and he came back with a, a rock that was the size of a football and so at this point, my buddy um, just gassed the car really hard, and the guy threw the rock, and it hit the trim on the top of the driver's side, um, you know, side window, and cracked that, cracked the window, but didn't come into the car. And he pulled down into a driveway in front of a house that was being built still. <laughs> We're like like putting on like hon- honking the horn and and like just laying on the horn and. Um, we could see from this particular vantage point in the driveway, we could see down the hill where the truck was and mm-hmm. the truck maneuvered and started coming up the hill. So we like saw the lights coming up the hill. And I, this, this was like a pivotal moment for me because I just, I felt like, um, this is, you know, a, a kind of a spot where, you know, when you're going to die, you know, you're going to die. And what do you do with that information? And this lady on the phone was just like, stay in the car. Uh, it's your only protection. And, um, I just wanted to hang up on her and call my mom and just be with her, you know, the best that I could. And, um, anyway, the car, uh, <laughs> it does bring up stuff. <laughs> mm, and deep breath. yeah. Um, so the truck, it passed the driveway. I mean, they didn't see, he didn't see us in the driveway cause we'd had our lights off and he couldn't see all the way up the hill. So he like passed where we were. And it was this moment where it felt like, a, for me, like, you know, an action movie or something, because my buddy, like, threw the car in reverse and, like, spins down the driveway, got stuck in the in the ditch, you know, like, hits the mailbox and all this, you know, stuff. It's just so dramatic. And um, we caught the road and went ahead and got out of the cul-de-sac before they figured out what was going on. And so we're like, ah, oh, yes, we got away. It was like this elated feeling. And we drove back through this whole maze of little roads in this housing division. And um, when we get back to the entrance of the main road that we had originally turned off on, and I'll never, I figure, I still figure, like, how did they, did they do this? But they, both of them were there already. The truck was parked again, kind of blocking the road. And both of them had a rock, again, like a big limestone piece. And um, so I'm telling the, the 911 dispatcher, like, we're going to run over them. Like, I felt like I don't care if I kill them right now. This is like I've lived in this kind of terror my whole life. I don't care if they 
what right. happens to these people? And she was saying like, no, don't do that. That's going to really, that can really complicate things and, and just trying to talk me out of that option. And I wasn't even driving anyway, but I was like, go, go hit him. <laughs> and, um, so my friend actually drove around them and around their truck is where, you know, on the, on the side of their truck, on the other side of the road, there was kind of a gravelly spot on the shoulder, and he just went through that spot and managed to have enough space to do it. And they both threw the rocks. Um, it hit my front windshield on my car, and it cracked the windshield. So we got back out on the main road, and luckily we didn't. You know, it didn't. The rocks didn't come into the car, but it was like we couldn't see very well. So he was driving with his, you know, with the side window down, just like trying to look out here and there, and. Um, in the rearview mirror, the lights from this truck, we were going like 90 on this road. It was way too fast, and these lights were gaining on us. So I just knew, like, oh, it's them, and I don't – what is – I could not understand, like, their tenacity. Um, it was bizarre. It was like like a dog that's just been, um, you know, set to kill. And we came all the way back into Austin, Texas proper. And at this point, I'd already been discussing with the dispatcher, like, a plan to, like, well, we're going to drive, like, right up to – this gas station on a big intersection that's kind of a famous intersection there mm-hmm. and we'll have cops there and, and we'll just drive them right there and um we are coming into town this truck pulls around us in a two lane at this point like two lanes one way two lanes the other way they pulled in front of us and turned sideways in the middle of the road and it's like one in the morning and there's still cars out driving so they block traffic and um it was just I could not understand like like they're on a completely different planet and so my friend he just drives into oncoming traffic and was dodging around and people were flashing their lights and honking at us and um he got back into the lane that we should be in and we get to the gas station at this point and the, their cops are not there <laughs> oh, oh, my like, god. oh my god I know it just kept like it just kept droning on and on and so we took a left and I'm telling the, the dispatcher, we're going to drive to the police station. And that's where we're headed. And she says, okay, hey, actually, the units are on the scene right now. Don't change positions. Just go back to where you were. So we were only like a half a mile away. So we do a big U-turn. The truck does a big U-turn. And we're all heading back towards the gas station at this point. And I'm looking out the side window to the right. My friend's driving in the inner lane, you know, next to the line. And the truck is like swerving at us and they're yelling and both of them are not looking where they're going. Like they, and I saw them say, die. I saw they were saying, you know, some stuff and calling me stuff still. And they weren't looking where they were going. And there was a car that was turning off on the right side, taking a right. And they just plowed into the back of this car. And I just like, I'm I watched the whole thing happen out the side of the window it was really traumatic because um, we got we you know we drove to the gas station, but it was at that point you know maybe like two hundred yards away, and we parked our car and just saw this whole scene. Um, it was a big accident, and the cops came, and the people that were turning off the side of the road they they had to be airlifted to the hospital. It was just a really big deal, and um, yeah, so I spent at that point like the next couple of hours being interrogated about the whole situation and you know me and my friend I wanted I just needed to be close with him but um we were in separate cop cars to really check our stories and it was kind of traumatic for me because they kept asking me like well 
were you, are you gay? What were you doing? Were you doing something? Was this about drugs? You know, I think, you know, obviously relevant questions, but, and you probably have a lot more to say about that. But for me, oh, yeah. I was like, I had not told myself yet that I was gay and here they are identifying it and then actually just identifying this is why you got attacked and that's how I took it. And it just, for me, it sealed the deal in my closet, you know, for a really long time. Cause I felt like I can't come out. And, um, they went to those, those guys went to prison for um, assault with a deadly weapon. I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't go testify. Like they want, you know, you know, they wanted me to testify, and I would not. I didn't want to see them ever again. And they were on a lot of drugs. I mean, there were lots of things going on, but um, it was just—it was a really horrible experience. It did put me in a, in a trauma state for a long time. I'd always been afraid of men. <laughs> and then like finding how all this stuff like intersects with sexuality and like showing up, you know, in relationships, I guess we're heading towards that in a minute, but I, it was, it was really intense. And I, I can't yeah. even imagine. I mean, that is every bit of everything that a nightmare is made of. <laughs> I know. And it went on and on. And there were so many moments where I thought, you know, if something in the cell phone, for instance, like died, like right as this all happens, so the accident happens, we're parked at the gas station, and my cell phone dies. And just thinking about all these different little moments, like if they hadn't been just a certain way, who knows what would have happened, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I felt for a long time, you know, the weirdest thing too with, with my family is that like my dad was worried about like, why was I out there? You know, it wasn't, I, I wish that they had, re- and then they had their own stuff going on. They were going through a divorce at the time, but like, no one was like, oh my God, are you okay? It was like, what were you doing? This looks suspicious. Um, you know, confirming some of the same stuff that I was really afraid of. And mm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like this is your fault. You know, it's like blaming the victim. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what you got from the cops, right? They were trying to figure out a reason that these guys were attacking you and somehow that was going to justify what happened. Right. I know. Well, I mean, in one woman, there was a, a woman officer that was really, really kind. And I, I, I sat with her in a car for a while and I was crying and she was, um, she said, you know, like if they did call you a faggot or something, do you know that like that would be a hate crime? You know, so just wanting me to, to share more. And she was trying to be empathetic. Um, but I just felt like I can't, I can't answer these questions. You know, I was just out there talking and nobody seemed to believe that I was just out there talking with my friend. You know, it's like it, it felt just too raw and sensitive that sure. they were hitting this thing that I was truly hiding from myself anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm going to go back to, I mean, that I can't even, there's not even words that could make you feel better about that. It's horrible. I'm just happy that you survived it and that, you know, you're doing so well today with it. <laughs> yeah thank you it's been a while since I've talked about this and like sometimes when I tell the story it almost feels like it happened to somebody else um, which I think is a good sign and then sometimes it feels very, really visceral still and today it just does feel raw you know mm-hmm. so <laughs> and I mean this has happened to so many people I mean I mean, I feel like this is why I do the work that I do also is because um, 
men are, were so affected in so many ways. And this is one violent incident, but there are like so many violent incidents, right? Even if it's just seeing our president say something about us exactly. um, and lack of support from legislation, lack of support from our families and all the things that we're internalizing and getting. And then just the violence that we do to ourselves and we pick ourselves apart and, and, and project that onto other men too. And I just, to me, it's hard for me to look at the gay scene and not see so much trauma that really needs holding and a helping hand. And, um, you know, I, one of the newer taglines that I've been using is, um, sex is central to the gay experience. Intimacy is not. And I want to change that. And I love, I love being able to represent that part, um, of the human experience and just offer help in that space. Cause it's like, we're all very, very affected. And, and a lot of people are uncomfortable with admitting that. And mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like we have to, or we can't move forward. Well, your story is important to tell. I mean, we've, you and I've talked before about having you come and talk with my law enforcement students, Yeah, future cops, they need to understand, they need to hear real life examples of how every word they say impacts people. And when you're yeah. when you're interacting with a victim of something like this, it's so horrible. Um, it makes a difference about whether the person's going to come out of it in some sense of wholeness or mm-hmm. not, or whether they're going to be there to help you prosecute the case or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, wow. so many factors, right? Like yeah. the the person is so. It just depends, and I feel so blessed to have had for one, like a, a spirit in me that is a fighter and that has always wanted to to do what I was going to do no matter what. And I've been able to and fortunate enough to have resources around me uh, to help me move forward, you know? Right. Well, I think you're, you're a survivor, you're a fighter, um, and, and so resilient. Um, you survived, you know, your father, you survived this, and you survived ministry school. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I think at one point – when I was an altar boy for the Catholic Church, I had thought about uh, the seminary. And when I look back on it now, my thinking about the seminary was, I think, probably mm-hmm. more interested in being able to find other men mm-hmm. in a way that would be protected. I think there's a lot of mythology about what goes on at seminary and ministry school, at least uh-huh. at one point. Um, did you find that mythology to be true? Were there a lot of men hooking up? I don't know the extent to which men were hooking up. I know that we all, everybody, wrestles with some level of um, who I am in the world is an accurate uh, representation of who I am on the inside and honesty. And I lived a very divided double life, um, projecting one particular experience into the world and then also just living a very double experience. And I feel like one of the things when coming out of the closet, like having all that just kind of rumble to the ground was like this, like, oh, my God. We just don't know, like, people. And I mean, it was like a, a trust thing. I was like, if I can't trust myself, oh, my God, who can I trust, you know? Um, so I don't know what people were doing, except I know that, you know, it's human to do things. <laughs> um, and I am pretty sure, you know, everybody had their hand in some kind of, like, quote-unquote sin. I do know that there was a lot of tension around sex. And so people aren't, you know, maybe they're utilizing religion and, and like you said, like this, like, fraternity-type group of men to connect in some kind of way and they're not 
exploring openly um, the psyche and like what things mean to them and the symbol there, they're just all real hung up on this like sex and sin. And, you know, so to me, it's an inverse. It shows like, okay, so you really have a lot of issues around sex and sin and you really want to be close with men. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with my friend, we did, we masturbated together we struggled together. We would be, you know, accountability partners. It's like, well, if you masturbate, you're going to tell me about it. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> and it was something I just, I looked forward to like the confession and like hearing what he'd been doing. And I did snoop in his stuff and because like, we lived together for a while. And then also post ministry school, um, more men that I went to school with have come out of the closet. So right. sure. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your um, your double life continued yeah. beyond that, and you fell in love with a woman and mm-hmm. got married. I did. <laughs> yeah. How um, did that go down? Well, you know, it was like really, you know, I met her pretty quickly after that whole incident with the um, attackers. Mm. And also, I mean, it kind of, that question raises a lot you know, for people in general, I think, because I do believe sexuality is much more of a fluid experience and our identities, who we are in practice and what we do with our body parts is very different than who we are as an erotic creature on the inside. Mm-hmm. And however we frame our experience to create safety and, and whatever is, is what we do. But for me, like when I met her, I was very drawn to her. I literally was attracted to her. I would not call myself bisexual. I'd never done anything with women. She was my first person to actually have sex with. Um, I'd done things with men since I was 15, but I'd never gone to the like the all the way kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely never had any other girlfriends or like, you know, I even lied to my parents in college about having girlfriends because I I was embarrassed that I didn't have one and that I didn't even really want one. (laughs) Um, So anyway, when I met her, I was really attracted to her. And I also just like really resonated with her in in a way. She was kind of rebellious. And I had just graduated ministry school at one point and we started hanging out with each other. And at this point, I was already wanting to leave the church. Like I had gone through ministry school. I graduated. It felt like an immersion learning for me where I was like, okay, I did not get the answers there that I was looking for. And if anything, uh, um, it really drove me further down my path. And I wanted to leave the church, but I was still ministering. Like I still had a church that I was preaching at every Sunday. So she and I started hanging out, connecting. um, And it was like we just kind of like linked arms together and we're like, let's – let's get out of here, you know, and, and we need it. We both had very like formidable, strong families. And so we really needed some support to get away from all of that. And true to the cliches, I mean, like our families turned our backs on us. It was like years, um, of kind of being an exile and mm. we got away and, um, I loved her. I was confused by the experience because I did enjoy making love with her from an emotional perspective uh, I did not physically desire her like an animal, you know. I, that's the experience I was like splitting off and having with men in private. But at some point, I did my best to muster a compromise because she and I started like seeing guys together and just kind of exploring our sexuality together, mostly because I was being, uh, I was cheating and it, it kept like fracturing our connection. And so she was like, well, let's just do this together. Let's like find a boyfriend. And so we, we did, and we ended up doing that for a while. Hmm. And, <laughs> so so had you did you have a conversation with her about being either gay or bisexual or did it just sort of naturally evolve? 
Well, I can't. I told her the first night I ever hung out with her one on one that I was bisexual, because okay. I had been exploring with that. You know, right after I got out of ministry school, I met a guy that I was dating, and. I was just kind of trying that on. It was a secret, but I was dating him like officially. Um, uh, so I, but I was really scared, you know, like he tried to grab my hand in public and stuff and I would just like pull away and I just wasn't available emotionally. I just wanted to go to his house and hook up and, um, you know, hang out with him, watch movies there, that kind of stuff. But so I was really dealing with a lot. But when I met her, it, I, she was like, oh, cool, you know, you're bisexual. Okay, great. And, I felt like it was kind of safe to park it there for a while. And, you know, in hindsight, I know, you know, I was trying to really turn myself into this thing, but I really did love her and I still do. And, uh, just, you know, I just, just a kid I was like 23 when we got married. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. <laughs> well, you were doing what the narrative said you were supposed to do, right? Yeah. And how can I take this safety and turn it into something permanent? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I, this, her choosing me, she's a very beautiful woman. Uh, like her choosing me made me feel safe, like from what I've experienced. So I was like, Ooh, okay, I'm not gay. I'm not going to get beat up. I've got this woman who's chosen me. It was a narcissistic spot to, to park on. <laughs> but, yeah. But it brought you um, some safety. Yeah. It did. Yeah. And we, we did grow a lot together. So what brought you to San Francisco? I mean, all the big cities that are out there. You escaped from the South, and you ended up in San Francisco. Yeah, we were drawn to San Francisco for a long time, and both of us, like I said, in our friend community in Austin, we were kind of more, I would say, more liberal, right? You know, people looked at us like, "Well, y'all are kind of crazy," you know. You know, but we 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 felt kind of cramped, you know, like we mm-hmm. needed to explore more. And then we came here, and it was just like, "Whoa, we are so conservative." <laughs> And um, it just we just needed to get away and get away from the identities that we had created, like who everyone thought we were, and we could just start over. And it was where we kind of were like pulling a geographic, you know, to escape some problems that we had really had in our relationship a, a lot because of me. Um, and when we got here, it just all kind of tumbled out and just fell apart, you know, because we couldn't really access any of that safety network anymore. And it was here where... I, you know, I know now it's because I came here to come out. Sure. And so that big event happened. How old were you when you, when you officially came out? I was 31. Okay. And so how, yeah. did, how did that happen? <laughs> everybody has a, everybody has a story around that. Um, yeah. How did that happen? Um, well, we had a boyfriend that we were sharing at the time and he followed us from Austin, Texas here and he was living with us in Berkeley and uh, she and I were falling apart and what the experience I was having with him was like, I can't turn back. Um, and it was like driving a big wedge between me and her and I, what, and she was so angry at me and also just her life and just a lot, you know, was coming up for her and I couldn't, I could not hear her. I just knew I was dealing with what was coming up for me. And, um, I just wanted to be really close with him and I was terrified to lose what I was feeling in myself through him, you know? And, um, we went to Burning Man <laughs> this year. We were like worked on DPW. We're out there for a month in the desert. And out there, she was like, you know what? I am going to do what I want and I'm going to do it a lot. And it was just this, uh, you know, it felt like she was gleeful about it. And it was a punishment. But I watched her just like connect with all these men. And she knew at that point, like, you know, he's gay. And she asked me one night, we were up all night long and she was like, are you gay? 
and just wanted me to tell her and talk to her, but I couldn't. It was like that question every mm. time. Every time I was asked that question, it was just like I, I was dealing with my entire life's you know issues, and I told her no. Um, so she was like, "Well, I'm not going to stick around till you figure it out because you know something like to the effect of like I think you are." And um, so she met some people and she moved off grid onto pot farms, <laughs> and that was that. Like she just moved off, and um, I at that point it was like she kind of pulled the plug on everything and was gone and I couldn't really uphold it anymore. So it was like she gifted me that space and then I was like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm gay. <laughs> and, oh my God, I'm gay. <laughs> um, so I wish that it had been something that I had really initiated, but it wasn't. It was like, I just couldn't say it until she like made me unplug from her as a, you know, a source mm-hmm. of security and yeah. <clears throat> wow. You know, I remember being asked that before I was out, and then if I was gay, and every time someone, particularly if it was someone that I cared about, said mm-hmm. that, it really felt like someone had taken a butcher knife and stuck it directly in my stomach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah, was so you, afraid. How did you respond? Did you like, like, what well, did you say? Well, I went into that immediate denial phase because mm-hmm. I was very protective. I had this wall up, but it really hurt. I remember. Actually, one of the one of the guys that um, was a roommate that I had a total crush on, I would say I was in love with him at one point. He asked me straight out, and it just was the most burning. I mean, I could feel it in my stomach, and <laughs> it made me it made me feel just sick. And I, I, as I look back on it now, I think it was more the fact that I was having to lie to him uh-huh. than it was. And maybe even some of the denial pieces, but it was about lying and just not being able to be true. Yeah, and longing too, yes. perhaps. Yeah, yes. like longing for this resolution <laughs> around something that's like, God, why do I keep getting that question? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I knew there was no there was no doubt about it in my mind, and mm-hmm. I wanted him really bad. If he would have said, Well, I am, that mm-hmm. would have made it a whole lot easier. <laughs> you know? right? Um Wow. Uh and now you're doing coaching for people, mm-hmm. um, something that you're deeply passionate about. How did you get from a guy who's just coming out to <laughs> coaching? Oh, well, um, okay. So I, I'm going to have to, <laughs> it's like a, it's a journey, but I went back to Austin, Texas for a while, uh, after I came out of the closet because my life just felt like shambles and in lots of different ways. And so I went back home, gathered my strength, broke up with my boyfriend, uh, came back out here. And then I started just kind of embracing, you know, like, okay, I'm gay and and I'm open and let me see what happens. And dating men, like in some ways, like emotionally, I had already gotten to this place where I didn't want just a superficial experience. And I had had lots of sex like that in my life, uh, closeted mostly. But when I came back to San Francisco and I was having sexual experiences, I just noticed like a strong sense in me of like, okay, I want something else of myself and with someone. And so I dated men uh, for a while. But in that time in my life, I wasn't really able to feel the vulnerabilities and the shame that I was still carrying because I would just go hook up with people or I would just, you know, meet somebody, kind of get to know them and date them until it started getting a little personal. And then I would reject that relationship and move on to the next one. Mm. And, 
Yeah. And it sounds familiar, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I went, I went through that cycle again and again, where it's like, you know, you hook up with people, it can be pleasure and that's good in itself, but it's also like a circumventing sometimes of what's going on underneath. And it can also be a curated experience where I don't ever have to feel what's going on for me, um, in deeper layers of me. So when I did get to a point where I met my current partner, um, three years ago, I just, I never had the experience of overlapping intimacy and sex before in, in a way where I was being honest and open and really letting him in. And it was just a tremendous experience. And also it was like really challenging for me because at that point, all the things I thought about myself sexually just like went out the window. Like I had a hard time staying um, present in sex. I had a hard time like staying hard. I just, it was just a lot of physical challenges were happening and just emotional stuff was coming up simply because I was under the eye of somebody that I was opening up to. And I opted at that time not to do anything with anybody else, but just him because I wanted to sit through that. And I got into therapy and I started really working on these themes and wanting to talk about them. And I felt totally broken. But as the more I worked on myself and talked to other men, some men would offer out what they were going through too. And it was normalizing and, and hearing men share about their deep shames and fears about their bodies and their inabilities and things. Um, Mm -hmm. I just felt more and more galvanized and it just put, I, it got a lot of momentum going and a lot of passion. And I just started like learning as much as I could and attending things, going to workshops, like studying. I got into, um, work by Esther Perel, Jack Morin. Um, my own therapy process was huge in helping me hold some of those tender places. And as I, talked more and more with guys, I felt more and more like devoted to this idea of like, I, I can't help but talk about this. Like, this is what's up for me. I have a hard time accepting these things and I really want to feel good. I want to feel whole. I want to feel integrated and, and I can't stop, <laughs> you know? And so right. it, but then that, that really galvanized, um, a pathway just kind of opened for me because more guys came forward and wanted to talk about it. And I just started moving into, some of my skills that I already had, I'd already been, you know, wellness coaching for a long time and ministering. And so, so it just felt like natural to take the skills that I had and be like, okay, well, this is, this is what we're talking about now. <laughs> um, right. And it became, yeah, that became my journey at that point. And it's felt like something I could finally, um, feel like both feet in. <laughs> does it, does it, yeah. Does it feel like each step of your life has led you to this and that, and that had you not taken those steps as painful as they were, you wouldn't be as good as what you're doing today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And yes. And it's challenging too, because like I've actually recently been going through a round of stuff in myself and some, some big challenges that have come up for me. And, um, and it's like, sometimes I, it's like, I can feel so good and then I can feel so weak and then I can, you know, feel like, what do I have to offer anybody? And then I'll go into a session and hear where a man is in his process and definitely have some wisdom to help share for him, but also just this connection with him and it's reaffirming and it's like, it's powerful. It's, it's really helpful for me to, to hear what people are experiencing and struggling with. And, um, yeah, I, I love, I love it. Mm, awesome. That's so good. <laughs> that is so great. So for our listeners who may be thinking, um, you, do, you are a coach. Uh-huh. Uh, what's the difference between a coach and a therapist? Well, there's a lot of differences. It's kind of different in the approach. Like, um, 
So a therapist is licensed for one. There's a particular code that they have to go by. So um, there's a licensing board, right? So there's a particular way of being that's um, moderated. But there's also like the approach is different. You know, they have more expertise in um, understanding what's happening on a mechanistic level with the psyche. You know, I use a lot of therapeutic modalities in my coaching work, and I also work with some therapists in collaboration. Um, but they're kind of different things. Like, so in coaching, it's like more of a directive process. Like I, I will do therapeutic work with someone like deep healing, um, space that we create and just having space for what emerges in an ongoing kind of way. But I also bring to the table, like, where do you want to go? Here's like, where, what can we do? Like steps, um, to help you get to this particular goal and desire. So my way is a little bit of a, I guess it's kind of like a hybrid, the best that I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that like therapy is more of an open-ended process, and you can continue down that path uh, for as long as you want. Um, I've known people that have been in therapy for like 20 years, and I think coaching is more of a let's get you to this you know, point A to point B. Here's the skills I can help you with. Here's some tools, and how can I help you get resourced? Right. Yeah, but I also I do really enjoy open-ended work and make a lot of space for – just the healing process. And if somebody's like very focused on the coaching aspect and wanting like, just tell me this and what do I do? And da, da, da. I usually try to slow that down and help them get into what's really going on under the surface. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, it's a kind of a therapy type approach. So you started a new program though, where you're mm-hmm. going to be supervised, uh, mm-hmm. doing some yeah sex coaching, sex therapy, sex counseling, sex counseling. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's in the terminology there because sex therapist would be someone who's licensed therapist and has actually gone through a program that they've gotten the credentials established to be a therapist. I'm not. Um, sex counselor, uh, basically ASEC, um, they oversee, they're a governing body that oversees a certification for people who are being sex educators, counselors, therapists. And um, so if someone's a sex therapist, what that means is they've actually gone through you know, a master's degree or a PhD program, they've gotten that and then they've gone ahead with another additional amount of certification for, for sex therapy. Okay. So, yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm going through that additional training with the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes in West Palm Beach, Florida. And part of that, I've been, you know, approved by ASEC with the counseling experience that I have to, to go through this program. And now I'm being supervised by two different sex therapists and psychologists there um, with my own case work with some of my clients that I see and giving me some more clinical training around what it is that I'm actually experiencing with somebody in the room. And I have like a, a wide lens that I bring from anthropology and from healing modalities like, you know, mindfulness techniques and that kind of broad spiritual based, um, work and now I feel like this is giving me more specificity and skill and ability to work with people's actual um, issues that underlie some of the broader themes. Right. Wow. That's going to be really cool. How long of a process will that be for you? Um, It is really cool. I love it. And it's 18 months of um, work and supervision. And I... Yeah, I'm just really stoked about it. I feel like it's helping me round out the picture of my own experience for now anyway. Well, you're going to learn so much. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. I already am studying ethics and stuff. It's bringing up all kinds of questions for me around like my own work. And it's just, it's really cool. It's rich. I'm loving it. Love it. You know, when I hear your voice, you have such confidence now. And I think back on your story and when I hear you talk, 
it's really it's really amazing. You've overcome so much, but in coming out, that whole authenticity now that you have has given you so much strength and confidence. Do you see that? <laughs> yes. It depends on the day. And I do like today actually is one of those days where I feel just unstoppable and I love it. And then there's just been days last week where I felt like I was so in touch with my childhood um, and my the, the residue, you know, so I think what I appreciate what you're saying a lot. And what I think you're probably hearing in me is just like, I continue to look at what's inside and all the stuff that I don't want to have to deal with. And that does give me a sense of strength, you know, so it helps me let go of what I'm not and really just be with what I really am. Um, it's like, you know, we have this vault of stuff that we do not want to dig into everybody, mm -hmm. you know, I call that the shadow and you start looking at all that and it is scary and I do think we need help and tools and resources and people to help us through that. But um, once you do start looking at it, you're not running around trying to avoid it anymore. So I think that's probably part of what you're hearing in me is like I'm invested in that process. I'm looking at the stuff. I'm not trying to avoid it. So I'm not trying to craft my personality is much to avoid that anymore. Mm -hmm. You're really kind of that's what I think authenticity really means is when we're just being ourselves to the best of our ability. And yeah. oh, I just hear a lot. lot. I just hear a lot of pride in your voice, and you know that is the opposite of shame. So let's talk about this <laughs> workshop that you're going to do for us in Napa during Pride Month in June. Uh, mm -hmm. the focus is very much on overcoming shame or replacing shame with pride as the workshops called. Mm -hmm. what yeah. will, what will participants experience? Thematically, they're going to get a dose of what we talked about today. They're going to experience, you know, some exercises with each other, some, um, group discussion and some laying groundwork to help establish a vulnerable atmosphere where they can really share and open up and, and it, they create a space where they're going to feel, hopefully, um, seen and heard and that their experience that they've been through is valuable um, and a sense of community around what we've, the struggle part. You know, I think in advertising a workshop, it's been a fine-tuned process of like trying to talk to the pain point that people are experiencing without being like, <laughs> we're going to go talk about your deepest stuff. <laughs> but they're right. going to they're going to experience dipping into what lives in their, like their physical bodies still. Like the things that we experience. So when we're uncomfortable in sex and relationships, those are just like, they live in our nervous system. So like experiencing some of that, but also having a space to flesh that out and like create some healing experiences around it as well. And then just like some tools to talk, like tools to some vocabulary that will help them describe their experience more to connect with other people more and depending on where one is in the process around shame, I, one thing I want to just highlight is, you know, I think I hear a lot out there in the coaching world around like, you know, just heal the shame, get over the shame. And I don't think it's like, you don't swap shame out for pride. It's not like that. It's a process of just like, you know, one part of me is feeling really strong. Another part of me is not. And like being able to just tune in to all these different little parts. And so they're going to get um, a way of accessing like parts of themselves and be able to talk about that. Um, and again, like exercises and some um, work going forward that they can do, some follow-up resources and some follow-up work that they can, it's like play work that they can do to explore themselves more deeply and to, to create community around it. 
Yeah, it's going to be an amazing workshop. And mm -hmm. June is the perfect time to experience something like this. Uh, it's Pride Month. There's all kinds of reasons that you should get out and learn something about yourself as well as the community. But this is going to be a good one that is not to be missed. So it's coming up on Saturday, June 15th. It's going to be held at Napa Valley College in the community room, which is a beautiful space right in our library building, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And you can get tickets right now uh, using the link on our website at outbeatnews.com. Just look for the link right in the center of the page and get your tickets because the seating is limited here and you don't want to miss out. Mm. It's going to be yeah. really, really great. It is, and it's actually going to be really fun. Well, that's good too. Yeah. I mean, people want – we want connection. We want – to, to have relationships that mean something to us and we want to have sex that's fulfilling and we, you know, we want these things. And so we're creating a space to, to open up what lives in our collective experience and in our individual experiences so that we can really start to just uh, work towards what we're wanting. Well, that's going to be great. And this is a great opportunity for local people to come out and meet you as well because you're doing mm -hmm. workshops really all over the country and it's great that we have an opportunity to spend some time with you coming up. Yeah, and I'm so I really appreciate you just you're being so supportive of my work. It's very affirming for me to talk with you and to hear where you've come from um, in law enforcement, which I think is like the other side of like the masculine imprints that we get. You know, there's like God, and then there's law enforcement. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so sharing stories with you and having communicated with you about some of your experiences is really awesome and affirming for me to. To know you and just oh, I appreciate feeling your, yeah, and your enthusiasm about my work. It just is massively soothing yeah. and helpful for me. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate that very much. I think our stories have an awful lot in common, um, mm -hmm. though very different as well. But our experiences end up impacting us in similar ways. So it, it's really, mm -hmm. really cool. Where can people go to learn more about you and follow your work? So findearheart.com is the hub where I keep most of what's going on in my world. Um, it's F-I-N-N-D-E-E-R-H-A-R-T. Perfect. findearheart.com. And if you missed that, we'll put it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page and you'll find everything you need to get connected with Finn. Yes, please do. And if you just want to reach out and share your story, I love that too. Awesome. Finn Dearheart, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks on June 15th. Yes, thank you so much. And once again, if you'd like more information about Finn Dearheart's workshop coming up on Saturday, June 15th, go to our website at outbeatnews.com and click the link in the center of the page. That wraps up our hour. I hope to see you next weekend at Sonoma County Pride. If you missed any of the details we shared tonight about next weekend's celebration, remember you can get all of your 2019 Pride celebration information all in one place. It's on our website at outbeatnews.com. We have information about events here in Napa and in San Francisco. Tune in next Sunday night for Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB-FM Radio 91. In the meantime, do have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at outbeatnews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I give it up to Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. Silence is a quiet And it feels like it's getting hard to breathe And I know you feel like dying But I promise we would take the world to its feet Move I won't take Bring it to its feet That we have each other I will rise a thousand times again